after uh, coronavirus uh, happened and they, the kids came home and were not going to school in person anymore, originally said that they were, you know, it was all gonna be volunteer, voluntary learning and, and uh, there'd be some resources available, but they weren't gonna grade anything or do anything. And then they eventually decided that in terms of grades, they were going to give everybody in the, at the high school level a 4.0 or straight A's. I guess from my standpoint, it angered me because I don't really understand what the point of a 4.0, giving everybody a 4.0 is. I mean, I, I keep trying to understand why they could have done this. We petitioned, there was a big petition and the teachers got involved and the faculty made a decision in the student senate. It was like a really big thing and the grading system switched to all A's. Except for, it wasn't like you're gonna get an A on your transcript. It's just gonna say pandemic satisfactory, but it's gonna be weighted like grade, an A. It's gonna be 4.0 on your GPA. Which means that for every single one of my classes, I would get an A. And something that I saw that my friend posted online was that this is how the grading system is supposed to be. Like grades aren't good in the school system. They do all sorts of damage to kids. Like. And, and I see that like my whole life, it's not been about learning, it's been about the grades. Hi, I'm Diane Tabner. And I'm Michael Horn. Thanks for joining us for Class Disrupted. Diane is, you know, one of the many ways that the coronavirus threw schools for a loop. Grades was a particularly tricky one. It's true, Michael. And I know we've heard plenty of conversations with people like this dad, Gary, and this college freshman, Hava. Parents like Gary are confused and often angry that schools all across the country, really, Michael, have decided to opt out of grading. And mostly parents are wondering how to motivate their kids without grades. But I think that's the wrong conversation. And perhaps it's no surprise, Diane, but I agree with you. And it seems like the better approach, frankly, is to go a layer deeper as Hava started to and really talk about why we have grades in the first place and to ask the question, do grades serve students? Do they serve learning? And what would happen if we approached grading entirely differently? Well, uh, not to jump to the headline, but I think it might be great. Um, but I'll, I'll hold back and say, let's get into all of that. But first, I'm really interested in talking about how we ended up with this model in the first place. There had to be a reason for it, right? Right. It, I, so precisely true. And in the last episode, of course, we talked a lot about how schools grew really rapidly at the turn of the 20th century and how to handle that demand our country turned to a factory model. All of a sudden, right, we had a lot of kids to educate, and teachers, they used to be able to send home personal reports about how students were doing, but they couldn't do that anymore. There were just too many kids. They needed some kind of unified system of sorting students for the economy of that era, and so the reports that started as a way to communicate internally, right, between teacher and student and teacher and parent, they essentially transformed into a system for communicating with the outside world, basically a way to show who had done well on the various concepts as the students flew down the assembly line in excellence so that we could sort students. And out of that, letter grades stuck. And here we are, still stuck with them, Michael. Are we ever. And as you know, Diane, I've spent a lot of time pushing people to rethink grading as we rethink schooling. 
But I still remember my mom calling me up many years ago when I was in an airport traveling, you know, between events or testifying oh, in legislators. This is not going anywhere no, good. No, not going think. anywhere at all. And <laughs> so she was literally, so she called me up as she often does when I'm in the airport checking in. She literally, Diane, yelled at me on the phone for 10 minutes because of some story that she'd read in the Washington Post about a school that had abandoned A through F grading. And she kept oh, talking no. about how they were dumbing down schooling. Can I believe believe that schools are doing this. I have to do something about this. And so I listen, I listen, I listen. And then at the very end of the conversation, I sort of meekly reply, mom, this is actually what I work on and try to get (laughs) schools to do. I had to convince my own mom, Diane, because she was just so tied to the way that she'd gone through schooling and the way I had gone through schooling that she could not imagine any other way of doing schooling except for A through F letter grades. Well, and you know, now coronavirus has kind of blown things up with regard to grading and people are more willing to have this conversation. But, you know, Michael, your mother is pretty normal. You know, I've been, I've spent a long time on grades, a couple of decades on this. And I've heard that same story and argument over and over and over again. And people are pretty suspect when I say I have serious concerns about our grading system. And usually they think, you know, I'm going to have the tired old complaint that it will end in me wanting every single kid to basically get a trophy for trying. Which which I know is not what you're saying. (laughs) That's not what I believe in. And it couldn't be further from the truth. In reality, I care about systems that are designed to do what we intend them to do. And so I really think the place we need to start is, and quite frankly, the pandemic is driving us here, is is to ask the question, what is a grade meant to do? And, and you won't be surprised to know that I actually have an answer to this. So let me, let me share with you what I think a grade is meant to do. First, I think a grade is meant to very quickly communicate what someone can or can't do or what they do or don't know. And then second, in communicating that, to enable people to act on that information. And so let me make that real. Uh, You know, when we talked to Todd Rose in the last episode, he talked about admissions officers and employers sort of sorting people and deciding if a person should be selected for a job or a program or a school. And so there you go, communicating something for selection. Or for me, more importantly, it could be a parent or a student who can then take that information, Michael, and decide if they want to do something to improve where they are or if they're satisfied with it and they're happy with where they are, Um, but they can use it to make good decisions. Okay, so if that's the purpose of of, of a grade... Our grading system isn't doing that job right now at all. So so let's tackle the question first of acting on the information in a moment, Diane. But I want to start first with the point about grading being a way to communicate what someone can or can't do or what they do or don't know. Because here's the reality. Report cards aren't actually conveying the information that people like my mom think it is. And I don't mean to pick on her, but they do not adequately measure what someone knows. And I was struck in the last episode when Todd Rose talked about how there's absolutely no link between the time it takes someone to do something and someone's ability. And yet grades on a report card 
are in so many ways directly linked to the question of whether if you could do something in a fixed time period that you were given. You know, Michael, Sal Khan talked about this too when he was on, and he uses this really powerful analogy of a building. You know, he asks us to think about, you would never live in a house where you built 50%, 60%, 70%, even 80% of the foundation, and then thought you could successfully build the house on top of that. I mean, can you imagine the real estate agent saying, well, I got a B minus. Yeah, can and, you imagine and moving you into the home? In that? I mean, that's crazy, right? Not comforting at all. And so with grades, quite frankly, anything short of an A plus is really representative of less than a full solid foundation. And this, so that that's what's happening in learning. Why would we think that kids could know how to read 60% of the way or understand algebra 70% of the way and then later be able to read and understand complex text or do advanced math. Plus, a, a blunt grade like that doesn't communicate which part of the math or reading or whatever subject the student didn't master. So what is the 60? What is the 40? I mean, it, it's doesn't tell you anything other than they don't have a full foundation. Right. There's a big gap there. And then there's also this on top of that, right, which is that grades we know are capturing all this stuff that has nothing to do with the knowledge or subject matter in which you're working. So just as an example, if I have a C in chemistry, it might actually not have anything to do with the chemistry I do or don't know. It might be that I never turned in my homework. Hava actually had a lot to say about what getting good grades really meant at her own private high school. So let's hear from her again. Parents are kind of paying the school to like give kids good grades. And obviously they have to teach the kids to get the kids to have good grades. It's how it's supposed to work. But it's like nobody at my high school ever failed or like got held back a year, anything like that, um, which is great. It's like everybody had a lot of support. But in the same way, I grew up having access to all these tools that, like, I knew how to ask teachers for help and when to ask teachers for help and how to ask teachers for extensions and how to ask teachers to edit my essays in a way that was just enough so that it's like they're not, I'm not cheating, but it's like I can get all the help that I need. So I was still, my world was like pretty centered around grades. And so most of my friends, and I all knew how to get, how to work the system to get good grades. Michael, none of what she said surprises me, but it does break my heart. She is pointing to how unfair grading is and illustrating what we've been saying throughout this podcast, which is that the system we have is not working. It isn't meeting the needs of our society or really any individual in it. Hava is one of the winners, Michael. She's one of the winners of the grading system, and even she is losing in that system. The people who are getting the good grades are doing so because they're playing a game that puts grading first and leaves the actual learning behind. No one is winning, and our most vulnerable students are the ones who are really losing. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so not only do grades not actually convey the information people think it does, what Hava is essentially saying also points to the reality that the way we grade actually causes harm, Diane. And the way that they do that is because grades actively disincentivize learning. 
So I want to stretch back all the way to episode two of this podcast and remind folks about how we talked about the learning cycle in essence, and that a healthy learning cycle involves setting a goal, making a plan to reach that goal, carrying out the plan, showing what you know, and then reflecting, and then making a new plan based on the information that you just gleaned and continuing around that cycle again and again. But here's the thing. Grades just don't fit into that cycle the way they're done because it changes your whole orientation toward just trying to get the grade and then that's it. So many people talk about how high school kids aren't curious, that they're burned out, that they don't want to learn. But I mean, is it any wonder? Like learning hasn't been offered to them so much as grading really has. Michael, I'm noticing that this conversation is making me really frustrated. I can see you boiling over. It really strikes at my values of fairness and makes me think of a local reality that every time I think about it just drives me crazy. And it really takes the second problem of de-incentivizing learning to a new level. There's this local school here that is highly, highly competitive. Most of the students in the school are gunning for really elite uh, school admissions for college. And so what they do, believe it or not, is they take the math courses in the summer that they're planning to take in the following school year so that when school starts up, they're not actually trying to learn the math at all. They're just trying to get a perfect grade in that class on their transcript. Now, I mean, that's just bad enough for those kids who are living that life, right? But now let's just think for a moment about the kid who had to work during the summer or whose parents couldn't afford to allow that student to take the summer class. Or for whatever reason, maybe he's just rational and doesn't want to do a math class twice. That poor kid is going into that classroom with all those other kids who've already learned the math but are playing this game. And what does the teacher think of that student? Does the teacher think that that student doesn't know any math, is so far behind these other kids? I mean, that the other kids are math geniuses or this kid is you know, never going to learn it? I mean, think of the label that 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 other kid is getting because of this crazy system. And the grade is a reflection of that. Yeah, I mean, Diane, this is just so wrong on so many levels. And stepping back for a moment, it, it like it's almost one thing if grades aren't useful or filling their purpose. And, and I would actually argue that much of that is grades be, being a symptom of the problem with the factory model education system, not the problem itself per se. But when we go to your example and they're actually actively causing harm, it becomes really, really disturbing. And and here's the thing on top of that, right, which is the science of motivation, all this research, it shows that when you give people data or information, like grades, with no ability to do anything about it, so you give the grade and, sorry, that's what you got, it's literally the worst thing for motivation. Because, I mean, seriously, if we were to design an experiment to demotivate people any more than this, grades and report cards with literally no ability to take the information and prove how you did on it, that's what we would do to kids. We'd say, here's a piece of paper, a simple letter online that's going to label you, tell you how you did, tell you who you are, and there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, if you go through the garbage cans in high schools and find graded papers that have just been tossed away without a a student ever even looking at them, because there's no purpose in it, right? Like, I got the grade, there's nothing I can do about it, there's no learning to happen. Right. No one cares about the feedback. It's like, what was it or not? And there I am. That's it. Michael, and then couple that with making grades the key to future opportunities. Truly, making 
or breaking lifetime opportunities, which is how many families perceive acceptances to quote, good colleges. And you've got the makings of a really problematic system. All right, so we've broken down two very big reasons that grades just don't make sense. But if that isn't enough, there's actually a third way that our system of grading causes harm and it makes for the perfect storm. And and this third one is not something that most people even think about, but it really makes sense once you think it through. And that is that grading as we currently do it, it creates a pretty conflicted role for teachers in the system. That's exactly right, Michael. And you know, I'm this one really cuts close to my heart. And so let me start by describing what teachers are asked to do. Uh, Some things that most people might not realize that teachers are asked to do. So when students apply to colleges or for scholarships or oftentimes for programs or internships, teachers are very often asked to write letters of recommendation. Uh, Honestly, I can't even count how many letters of recommendation I've written in the last two decades. And every single time I pause and I feel extremely conflicted because most often I'm asked to rank the student I'm recommending and I'm asked to check a box to state if this student is in the top 1%, 5%, 10% of all the students I've ever taught in my entire career. Now, ironically, the letter is, suppo- is supposedly asking me to describe how this student is unique and special, but at the same time, it wants me to judge this student against every other student I've ever taught, to stack rank them which takes me back to what Todd Rose said, which is our standardized system that is only measuring a really narrow set of things asks every student to be just like every other student, only better. Now imagine letter after letter and year after year of that for a teacher, what does that do to you as a teacher? Even if you're super careful and you are inevitably going to start mentally ranking kids in your class and ultimately in your grading. So that creates an obvious conflict, right, Diane? I mean, the teacher is supposed to be the one teaching every single student. And theoretically, every teacher that I know, they want every student to learn everything. But here we are putting them in a system that says, Oh, wait, don't build that foundation for every kid, in essence, because at the end of this, you're going to have to rank these kids against each other, and you're going to have to tell us who's better and best and all the rest. So if that's the case, if you're a teacher, subconsciously, would you even design a class expecting that every student will learn everything? You're calling the exact right question, Michael. If as a teacher, I have in the back of my head all the time that at the end of the year, I'm going to have to judge these kids. It starts to have me put kids into buckets and not see them for everything they are. It it limits my view, which affects how I see my students. And by the way, kids know that. (laughs) It gets to a point where they start to see that they're competing with each other instead of collaborating. This is such a big point because it means not only do grades harm the relationship between the teacher and her students, but also between the students themselves. And Carol Dweck, the famous Stanford professor known for coining the idea of growth mindset, and in her best-selling book, Mindset, The New Psychology of Success, she actually wrote this out. She said when teachers, and I'm quoting here, when teachers are judging students, they will sabotage the teacher by not trying. 
I want to just say that one more time. When teachers are judging the students, they will sabotage the teacher by not trying. But when students understand that school is for them, a way for them to grow their minds, then they don't insist on sabotaging themselves. So students not only know this is the case, that teachers have this mindset, but it's also negatively impacting their performance, which is insane. And I mean, it's just literally the system. We couldn't make it any more pernicious. But the only thing, and I'll say this very cautiously, Diane, because the only thing that's giving me a little pause is this, which is that I'm sure many who are listening to us right now would say, yeah, 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 but but that's real life, right? Like, just tough. You go out into a world where you're labeled and you put in buckets and it's competitive. I mean, that's just the world. So isn't the purpose of school to prepare kids for that? Okay, Michael, no, no, full stop, no. You have called several very tired arguments on this podcast, so I'm going to call, I'm going to throw the red flag on this one. Good, good. Um, we've we've really tried to identify and put to rest the, these misconceptions here. And so let's look at this one this way. You're preparing for a job you will have as an adult that exists in our real world, Michael. And, and that world isn't always fair or easy, as we know. You get to pick how you will prepare, and you only get two choices. The first is you get to have a learning experience where you will master all of the skills you need to successfully do the job. And you will be given clear feedback that lets you know you've mastered the skills. The second choice is that you are in a system where you are trying to learn the skills you need for the job, but the system is really unfair, judges you as not as good as others, and you will only learn some portion of the skills you need to do the job. Which would you pick? Well, when you put it that way, but seriously, right, when you put it that way, it seems obvious, right? So I guess the question is, why are we perpetuating a system that isn't designed to prepare all kids for success? I don't know, because as we talked about last episode, we have the power to change this. As a country, we've done this before, and the pandemic gives us a, a really cool opportunity to wonder, what if this worked differently? I, I was really interested in what Hava had to say about the experience of gunning for grades her whole life, and then finding herself in college grades essentially thrown out, and realizing what really did matter to her. And it was so inspiring to, to hear a young person actually get that love of learning and that motivation coming back for her. So I, let's hear from her one last time. All the classes, suddenly like their meanings totally shifted for me from what they were before at school. There were two classes that I really worked the exact same amount in before the grading switched and after the grading switched. And those classes were my government classes with this one professor named Professor John Shields. I was taking Intro to American Politics and American Culture Wars. And we had these two big 13-page papers, one in each class. And I could have just not done them and gotten an A in the class. And I realized the importance of like, why was I staying up till 1am during finals week every night to do these essays? And why was I so stressed out about it when there was literally no consequence if I didn't do it? And it was because my professor had done a really good job in making sure that I care about the, the material. And it was stuff that I was so interested in and engaged in that I wanted to do really well in. And I really liked my professor and I didn't want to let him down. That was like another big thing. I really like the importance of professor-student relationships at this point 
became really apparent. Um, yeah, it was just interesting. I feel like I had to relearn what all of these classes meant to me and like relearn how, what learning means too. Like, what am I actually, if not for grades, what am I actually in school for? What's the goal here? And I knew that. I know that it's for me to learn. And when that became so in my face, when that, like, my own learning, prioritizing my own learning came first, what I really cared about, the way that I saw school and classes and teachers and work completely shifted. Okay, so here's my takeaway. Amidst a terrible pandemic, it created an opportunity for Hava to have learned something really valuable about grades and learning. And what a gift that is that she got to realize this as a freshman in college. Couldn't agree more, Diane. And to be fair, there's also some more good news for folks listening, right? Which is that a lot of districts and states over the last several years have started to ask this question of what's the real goal here around grading? And what's the real goal around having a system that's so fixed, right, as we've talked about, and puts labels on people and doesn't give you the ability to continue to learn and master your learning? And so we're starting, and I don't want to overstate it, but we are starting to see some creative solutions pop up. So just I'll give you a couple examples, because as you've said, as you've said many times, we're all about hope on this podcast. So We are. So New Hampshire and Vermont, Diane, have taken some big, bold steps to start to free up high schools to rethink this and create personalized learning plans for each student, allow schools to reflect when students have actually mastered concepts, as opposed to being focused on just the letter grade and labeling. And so they're still early in their innovations there, but it's encouraging. And then I would say maybe one of the most encouraging things that came out of this pandemic amidst a sea of really rotten news of how districts have, have responded was that just recently the District of Cleveland came out and that they said that they're going to get rid of A through F grades completely and move to a mastery-based system where they allow each individual student to keep on working, reflecting that learning cycle we talked about until they can show mastery of the knowledge and skills that they're trying to acquire. And, you know, look, I, I want to make this point again, because all of these places that I just described and a bunch of others that we haven't around the country who are rethinking this, they aren't starting by saying that, quote, grades are messed up. They're starting by saying that the system is messed up. We have to get rid of this factory model system that we've talked about where time is fixed and every student learns different amounts. So we get those holes in the foundation that Sal Khan talks about. But then as they're doing that, they're realizing that grades are a key part of that factory model system, and they simply don't make sense. And so we have to change them as we reinvent schooling. Uh, like you, Michael, I'm really excited about these uh, folks who are doing this work. Cleveland is so interesting and exciting, and I can't wait to watch what they're doing. Um, and what I really admire and appreciate about them is that they're totally focused on designing a system to do the job we need it to do, which is something we just keep coming back to um, every time we're talking about a different subject. And so they're working on a grading system that gives meaningful and timely feedback to students so they can grow and learn and get better and ultimately master the skills they need. But we need to remember there is always a but. Yeah, but there's always a but. <laughs> and this worries a lot of parents who wonder about the grading system we're used to. And, you know, your mom is not alone, as we said. And so how will colleges evaluate these applicants? I hear that worry from parents all the time as well. And I think we do need to ask 
what does selection look like with this new model that we're proposing? And conveniently, that's the subject of our next episode of Class Disrupted. Thanks for listening, and thanks to our awesome crew making this all work. Jenna Free, our writer, Steve Chigaris, our producer, and Nathan James helping us with publicity and graphics. We'll see you next time on Class Disrupted. Class Disrupted.